0: Well, all right, just as Chuck couldn't decide whether he wanted to stay Christmas or not. So did anyone eat food over Christmas? Anybody? Okay. Colt, you didn't eat any food over Christmas? Oh, okay, I see that hand. Okay. Did anyone, did anyone over-prepare food? Too much food? Too much food. Okay. You got leftovers? Yeah? Okay. So, you know, part of the challenge about cooking is knowing how much to cook. You know, sometimes, you know, you never know how people are going to show up or how they're going to eat and those sort of things. Well, if I'm going to be honest with you, uh, I overprepared. Uh, I actually had seven meals for the Christmas season to which I only have four Sundays. And so I had, I had to make a choice, either trim the menu or stuff it in, in the end. And, uh, and uh, so we know which one it is. Uh, so I stuffed one in in Sunday school, and you'll see in just a moment what else. So, but it is the season, and now we are literally at the back door of the season, unless you're Orthodox, and then uh, Christmas is still yet to come. But uh, Christmas was a wonderful time for my family and I, and I hope that you have been able to glean some joy in the season uh, with all the challenges that come with it. And uh, we've been having a little bit of fun. Uh, it has been reported that uh, at least one individual thinks that I'm a comedian as well as a pastor, which, okay, I've been called worse uh, because I like jokes. And so one of the things we've done is some random Christmas trivia. And I didn't want to leave this sermon series and not give you at least one more. So why do we leave milk and cookies? Does anyone leave something other than milk and cookies for Santa as he comes by? Does anyone leave tamales or anything else? Yeah, anybody leave something different? Scotch, yes. Yes. all right, yes. that fits right in with hail, <laughs> warms the bones, yeah, okay. But uh, in America, the tradition of leaving cookies and milk for Santa on Christmas Eve uh, became really popular and kind of took root during the Great Depression, uh, and the efforts that parents wanted to encourage their children to keep their charitable spirit Alive, facing the financial crisis of the Great Depression. What a, what a noble thing. Wanted kids to, to experience and see the value of giving. And uh, what, a, what a neat thing. And uh, one last thing. What did the wise man say after giving Jesus gold and frankincense? Wait, there's myrrh. That hurt, doesn't it? But you'll remember it. You'll never, you'll never hear the story of, Jesus, of Christmas ever again and not think of, and there's myrrh. No, it'll be there, trust me. It'll wake you up at 3.36 in the morning. There's myrrh. So we've been looking at the questions of Christmas. We looked at why Bethlehem. We looked at why was there no vacancies in the end. We looked at why the shepherds and today, my friends, you get a double feature. I know, your holiday, I know your Christmas Eve doesn't start till at least 6, so I've got time. And someone might say that I may have tampered with my wife's DVD. I don't know. I wouldn't do that to you, baby. And let me just also say this. I know what she was going to sing, and it was awesome. But today, you're going to get a double feature, so let's get on with it. The first one is this, is why the wise men's gifts. We know of the wise man. we know of the gifts, but sometimes we don't understand the why of the gifts. Now, uh, a good portion of this is a bit interpretive. There's not a hard, fast, biblical mandate, but we're going to look at why the gifts and what did they mean. Our focus passage can be found in the book of Matthew, the second chapter, where it says this. After Jesus was born, am I? Yeah, I'm on, okay. After Jesus was born in, uh, in Bethlehem in Judea, In the time of King Herod, a wise man from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is the one who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. As they came into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. They bowed down and they worshiped him. They opened their treasure boxes and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense and there's myrrh yes I'm going to drive that like a nail and in Matthew chapter 2 it says this after being warned in a dream not to return to Herod they went back by another route to their own country if you remember King Herod had met the wise men had directed the wise man and had instructed them to come back so that they could tell him where Jesus was located and we know history shows us that it was his intention to seek down and to murder Jesus. And so God instructed the wise men to do something different. So a few of the things I'm going to give you today are traditions. Now, there is value in tradition, uh, but a tradition shouldn't be held in equality to facts. And so I've indicated what it, which are which. So the tradition tells us that the names of the three wise men were Gaspar, Malachi, and Belshazzar. Uh, The tradition says that that was their names. And they came from the east, most likely modern-day Persia, which would include Iran and Iraq, perhaps maybe some of the stands. But they would have traveled eight, nine hundred miles, a thousand miles to see Christ. And so uh to give you a little a better idea here's a map of the old testament world and so if you look at this map on the top you see the black sea and you may hear the black sea mentioned today because of the ukrainian war Uh, a lot of military activity going on in the black sea between the russians and the ukrainians and to the left you see the mediterranean sea Down to the left, you see the Red Sea, which you hear a great deal about today because of the Suez Canal and the war between Israel and Hamas. And so we see that large part there where it says the Old Testament world, that's the Arabian desert, that's modern day um, Saudi Arabia. And so these wise men would have come from the East and they would have traveled. Whoop! that's just a little bit off. We always look and find our center. We always find Jerusalem and there's Jerusalem, that little bitty dot on that great big map. But these wise men would have come from the east, from Persia, perhaps modern day Iraq and Iran and other places, but they would have traveled through an area in the world called the, um, uh, the, cre- uh, not the crescent moon, the, the fertile crescent. There we go. Thank you so much. Criswellians right there, cheers. But they would have traveled this route and it would have taken a significant period of time by caravan uh, with a large group to travel to Jerusalem. And so what we see is this, why would they do this? Why Why would they undertake such a journey? Now, on Christmas day night, my bride and I were feeling a bit snacky and uh, we, we didn't have leftovers because our kids are like locusts. They ate it all. Um, and so I went to God's gift to convenience stores. You know what I'm saying Bucky's. <laughs> partly because I knew it would be open and they had snacks. Partly because I just wanted to see the madness. And partly because. I don't, I don't travel for Christmas. God. I don't have to go away. Everyone comes to us, so we're blessed by that. But inside me, as most men do, I have that urge for a road trip. And so I road tripped to Bucky's. And I got gas and, you know, I kind of fulfilled that holiday road trip going to Bucky's. And so the question we often ask is this, is why would they go and how would they know where to go? And so let's look. The fact is, is that the Magi knew of the writings of the prophet of Daniel. Daniel was a Hebrew. Daniel was in captivity in Persia. And while he was there, he was faithful to the Lord. He was faithful uh, to share and he was, and he was faithful in sharing what the Lord gave him as a prophet. And he was in a position of authority. So these men would, would have known of him, would have known of his writings and would have read his writings. And so, the prophet Daniel in his exile was setting the stage for the three wise men who would eventually come and see the birth of the Messiah. It's a fact that Daniel 9, 24 through 27 includes a prophecy that gives a timeline for the birth of the Messiah. Also, we see that uh, they may have been aware of a prophet named Balaam. Now, Balaam was not a a good prophet uh, like uh, Isaiah, uh, but I'm not, I'm not Isaiah, I'm sorry, but he, Balaam didn't finish as well, but he did have a prophecy and in his prophecy found in the book of numbers, it says a star coming out of Jacob. Now this was before Hollywood and well before Bollywood. And so when you hear the word star coming out of Jacob, it would have been immediately understood to be a celestial event, not an individual. And so when they read this prophecy and they hear these words, something was going to occur in the heavens that would be an indicator for this event. And so these men would have been primed uh, with knowledge of it, but also been primed to look for it. The wise men were guided for, uh, to the king of the Jews by a miraculous stellar event which they called his star. Now I've given you a link in the notes today where you can go and study more about the astrological events that, that lead to this, but there was an astrological event that the wise men saw and rightly interpreted as his star and they followed that star through the fertile crescent in search of Jesus. So. It was an incredible event, it was a historical event, uh, it was a prophesied event, it was a followed event, and it is a provable event. And so uh, it's a fact that uh, we, when we tell the story and when we celebrate the story at Christmas, we often put the wise man in the manger with Mary and Joseph. But historically, that is not the most accurate telling. They probably arrived when Jesus was a year and a half to two years old. It wasn't in the manger the night of his birth. And in Matthew chapter two, it tells us, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child. Now, does that make Christmas different? No, we just kind of compacted a little bit to get it all together because the wise men did come. And so they came and they found him after some some of the professionals will say that the journey may have taken them as much as a year or longer to travel so they were very committed to it so here's some facts one the magi were man, were men who read and believed god's word now were they jews no they weren't jews did were they um strict followers of the our old testament no not necessarily but they read god's word they believed god's word and they responded to god's word which is always a good thing they sought out jesus this was not an easy choice this was not an easy commitment they could have far more easily sent what an 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 ambassador to send a smaller group go and tell me what you find and report to me but they were all in they were committed to go and to find this king of the Jews. And let me just say this, just as it was for the wise men, ladies and gentlemen, as we seek after Jesus, it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be quick. It's not always going to be fun. It's not always going to be joined in by others, but they sought Jesus. It's also a fact that they recognize the worth of Christ. It's amazing to me as I stood in Bucky's on the evening of Christmas. And let me just say this. I was deeply, deeply satisfied and happy that for that night, Bucky's was not going to go bankrupt. As I looked around, (laughs) there were more people in there than you could shake a stick at, as my granddad used to say. And, and, and. And I I like to play the license plate game, especially that time of year. And there are a lot of people from a lot of places. And we ask ourselves, what is the worth? What price did you pay to go see someone around the Christmas holiday? One family said they drove all the way to Denton. Denton used to be a short trip, but now you know how many times you drove to Denton every second day. Now it's drive a little stop, drive a little stop. I mean, it's all the time. But think of the price that we pay during the holidays to see people or to be places. The true value of anything, one man says, is the price we're willing to pay to obtain it. And these men recognize the worth of Christ. Why? Because of the significant time, risk, and expenditure to seek the Lord. And may I say on this New Year's Eve, in light of New Year's Eve 1986, Christ is worth seeking. Christ is worth seeking. He was worth seeking that night, and he's been worth seeking every night since, and I'm thankful for that. It's also a fact that they humbled themselves to worship. Now, these just weren't common people. These were leaders. These were wise men. These were kings. They had come a long way to see a king, and they came in, and the scripture tells us that they worshiped him. Humility is the beginning of a lot of really good things. Humility is a characteristic that if you will choose it and use it, can be transformative in your life. Now, I'm not talking about being a doormat. I'm not talking about allowing people to take advantage of you, but I'm talking about the humility. Can you be saved and not be humble? My friends, we can have a nice little discussion over that because humility admits our shortcomings. Humility admits our needs. Humility admits that we in ourselves are not solely sufficient. Humility gives us the opportunity to see Jesus. And these men, after this great journey and this great price and this great inconvenience, humbled themselves to worship Jesus. They obeyed God rather than men. Now, this is a challenge, isn't it? Because sometimes what God says and what man says do not parallel. And sometimes what man says might make you very inconvenienced in light of what God's word says. It can happen. People die every day in our world because they won't follow what man says in contradiction to what God says. Now, you may never be called to spend your entire life in one decision, a martyr. That may not be what you have to face. In America, I hope not. But we face every day that choice. And these men, the Lord spoke to these men and told them, to go back a different way, not to go through Jerusalem, not to see King Herod, not to confide in him where Jesus was, but to go a different way. And so in my mind, what I see is they went, they probably went down to the Jordan River Valley and, and bypassed Jerusalem because they would rather do what God says than what man says. And as we enter into a year, an election year, oh Lord help us. My friends remember this, as a believer in Jesus Christ, your citizenship in God's kingdom always, always, always supersedes your citizenship in man's kingdom. You should always do what God would have you to do. Get educated and make a decision and vote as your heart and your faith leads you to vote. That won't be the first time you'll hear me say that. But they obeyed God rather than man. And in obeying him, they gave Jesus gifts. Let's get to this very quickly. The gift of gold was for a king. Gold is a symbol of divinity and is mentioned throughout the Bible. Gold is still precious today. <clears throat> you ever see those commercials? They want you to buy gold, buy gold. Uh, gold is an amazing thing. It's beautiful, it's just amazing. The Ark of the Covenant was overlaid in gold. The priestly garbs were, uh, were uh, gold was uh, weaved into them. Gold is a, is a powerful, precious metal. It's still precious to us today. The gift of the gold to the Christ child was symbolic of his divinity, God with us. It, is, it was a gift fit for a king, which Jesus is. Frankincense is a resin or a gum. So if, you, have you ever, if you've ever seen rubber taken out of a tree, they score uh, the, the outside of the tree and as it's scored, it, it seeps and that resin comes out and they collect it. Well, frankincense is a white resin and it's, it's gotten that same way. It's very fragrant and it's very sooty. I have some frankincense. I enjoy burning it because it smells awesome, but it makes a mess, let me just say. Uh, and it was also burnt in, uh, during the offering to the Lord. God instructed the Israelites to use frankincense as one of the pure ingredients of the most holy blend of incense reserved exclusively for ritual purposes. No other incense mixture was permitted on the altar of the Lord. Frankincense is a precious was a precious and very expensive spice of the day. It came from the far east, uh, India, or further, or from the uh, northern parts of Africa. Uh, by caravan, it was it was very precious, it was very uh, sought after and it was very expensive. And then lastly, there was myrrh. Myrrh is a product of Arabia and was obtained from a tree much like frankincense. And it was used in a multitude of ways, an anointing oil, it's used in perfumes, it had medicinal values, it was also used in beauty treatments. And um, myrrh, uh, I, one, one fellow says this, that the value, the price of myrrh at the time of Jesus, if you, if you extrapolated it to current value, that myrrh in the time of Jesus cost the equivalent of $4,000 a pound for us today. Very precious, very hard to get. And I tell you that because it's going to make a significant impact here in a moment. But today, I can buy a, a pound of myrrh, uh, of frankincense. I'm sorry, of frankincense for about fifteen dollars. So prices are different. The myrrh is a symbol of, is a symbol of bitterness, suffering, and affliction. It was a spice that was used for embalming at the time of Christ. In John the 19th chapter, we see this. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. I told you the price, though that particular fact would mean more. He brought 75 pounds uh, of this, this mixture so that uh, so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linens and clothes with spices as was the burial custom. This was a part of the burial preparations in the time of Jesus. So what were done with the gifts? Have you ever asked that question? So what did they do with them? Did they dig a hole and put them in the hole? Did they put them in a safety deposit box? Did they put them in the market? What did they do with them? Well, at this point, uh, it's a little bit of speculation because the Bible doesn't speak clearly and specifically, but I think we can uh, make a, a, a reasonable uh, uh, deduction. Now, they, uh, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, the wise men had left. Uh, and went a different way as instructed by the Lord. Now the Lord is speaking to Joseph um, and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. God tells Joseph, Hey, you gots to get because Herod's coming. And so it is a reasonable deduction that given the value of these three gifts, they would have financially sustained this family while in Egypt during the time of the exile until the death of Herod. So God had provided for them and given them the ability to financially sustain themselves while in exile uh, from Herod. It's, it's, It's reasonable, it makes sense. So the second feature is this, is why do we call him Emmanuel? Emmanuel we sing that oh come oh come Emmanuel I love that song not not in a singing mood yet this morning but Matthew the first chapter says this look the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel which means God with us so why do we call Jesus Emmanuel well it means that God is not far away and is not a disconnected deity he is present. Now sometimes life and circumstances and feelings can combine and we can feel like God is far away from us. There are those who would say that God created the heavens and the earth and everything in the earth and under the earth and then like a top just set it loose and we're just bouncing down the pinball machine of life. <clears throat> Jared, you know what a pinball machine is? You do. Have you ever played one? Okay. I just have to remember certain generations don't know everything, so. But there are many in our world that will say there is a God, but he's not an engaged God. He's not a present God. He's a disconnected, disconcerned, disassociated. But Emmanuel means that he is present with us. The Bible says that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. Now, sometimes that's a comfort to it. Sometimes it might not be, depending on where we are. Secondly, it means that God wanted us to be with him so much that he provided a passageway. Emmanuel means that God loves you and he wants you to be with him. And the Bible clearly teaches that we, in ourselves, individually and collectively, could not build a passageway that would afford us to be with him. So Emmanuel means that God created the passageway in the person of Jesus Christ. I always find it just a little it eh, to me when people go, oh, well, you found God. God is never lost. You know, God's never been lost. If you ever feel like God is lost, my friend, it's, it's me that changes. If I feel far away from God, I typically have to go back to where I left him because God doesn't leave me. Third, Emmanuel means that his passage is through a person. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved, not of works. Why? Because man's works could never equal what is necessary. Second is that man's works aren't always that great. I mean, man has accomplished some great things, but we look around in our world today and we accomplish some not so great things, amen? And Jesus says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, but by me. Emmanuel means that Jesus is the way. A lot of people want to debate it. A lot of people want to argue it. And a lot of people want to deny it, and that's fine. But Jesus says this, Emmanuel supports this. And what each and every one of us have to decide is was Jesus a liar, was he a lunatic or is he Lord? Every human being has to make that decision. As for me, he's Lord. I realize this is uncomfortable. I realize this is difficult. I realize there are people of good intention who would want to deny this claim of Christ, okay. But Jesus said it and I'm a Jesus man and I have to follow what he said. Emmanuel means that Jesus is that person. Uh, Fourth, it means that he has fulfilled his promise for all, all time. Look at Deuteronomy with me real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 31, this is when they had come out of the wilderness. He says, be strong and courageous, do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned up Joshua and said to him in the sight of all, all of Israel, be strong and courageous for you shall go With this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their family, their fathers, to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you, he will not leave you, and he will not forsake you. Do not be afraid or dismayed. Emmanuel means that God has fulfilled this promise in the past. He's fulfilled the promise in the present and he will fulfill this promise in the future. The other day I was sitting and I know that seems like a weird thing. And I was thinking, I thought to myself, self, what does this Emmanuel mean? And and I know, and I know, I know this, but man, so on January, excuse me, on, on New Year's Eve, 1986, I was lost. I knew of Jesus, but I did not know Jesus. I was a man accountable for my sins. Heaven was not my promised home. Later on that month of January, I met Jesus on his terms. I received Jesus to be my savior and I was saved from my sins. Why? Because of God's promise. And because of God's promise, I was no longer a sinner in need of a savior. I was a saint who possessed a savior. All of my sins had been forgiven because God says he'll do it. And because he did do it, now I was righteous as Christ is righteous and I was fit to be the dwelling place of God's Holy Spirit. How many of you, Would have served your Christmas lunch, which was probably a ham, in a bedpan. You wouldn't do it. How could I convince you one Christmas to serve your family meal in a bedpan? You wouldn't do it. What if I brought it to you in its original packaging? You wouldn't do it. What if I sanitized it in front of you? washed it twice over, you wouldn't do it, why? Because the container matters. And without Christ, I was a sinful bedpan, not worthy for residence of God's Holy Spirit. But on that January morning, by faith through grace, I received the righteousness that is Christ's and then and only then was I transformed and made holy a righteous vessel worthy to be resided in by God's Holy Spirit who promises what? I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. No matter where I go, no matter what I feel, no matter what I want, God's promise is He will never vacate the house that He made righteous and fitting for His Holy Spirit. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if we are of the Pentecostal nature, we would be on shouting grounds for that one right there. And if we were out of the charismatic nature, somebody might be taking a Holy Ghost lap. My friends, God has fulfilled his promise of Emmanuel because he made you fit for his Holy Spirit to take up residency. He is closer to us than our breath. How long? Forever and ever. Amen. One day I will not only have the presence of God indwelling me through his Holy Spirit, but one day I will stand with God in his presence in a place called heaven. And no point in between January of 1987 and today has God departed from me. Why? I will never leave you, Jimmy. I will never forsake you, Jimmy. Do I deserve that? Oh, absolutely not. but God's character is not dependent upon my feelings. God's character is not dependent upon my performance. God's character is not dependent upon my preference. God's character always fulfills his promises. So that on that day, when you receive Christ to be your personal savior, this promise became your promise. But you will receive power when? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. At the point of your salvation, you exchanged your sinfulness for Jesus's righteousness and God indwells you through his Holy Spirit. You shall receive power. What? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When God takes up residence in here, And in doing so, what is my response? You will be my witness. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was hopeless, but now I'm hopeful. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. That simply means this, wherever you go, as you go, be a witness to, to Jesus. Part of the challenge is in 1986 when I met Jesus, there was a very stark contrast between before and after. But I've walked with the Lord long enough now that there's not too many that know the old me, they just know that the ever maturing version of the new me. There's very few people. Now, Jeff, every now and then I still come across a classmate and it's funny because every now and then they still go, you do what? You do what? And uh, on more than one occasion at a funeral, I've had a passerby and they go, hey, are you Jimmy Vaughn class of 84? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Emmanuel, because God is with us, we can endure the difficult circumstances of life. Amen. Can we agree 2023? It will rough at times. But you know what carries us through those valleys is God's presence with us. He doesn't say, I'll prevent you from the valleys. He says, I will be with you. What? In the valley. And because God is with us, we can endure. We can hold on. We can bite down on the mouthpiece and keep punching. Secondly, because God is with us, we can expect an answer to prayer. We talked about that in the nine o'clock hour. Listen, God hears your prayers, God cares about your prayers, and God answers your prayers. The challenge is, is his answer and my want may not always parallel. That's a whole different message. But because God is with us, God hears, God cares and God responds. Third, because God is with us, we can embrace the demanding challenges of life and ministry. This is what I know that in the year that lies before me, I don't know one sti- Well, there's one thing, there's one thing that I do know is has a high probability of occurring but there's a whole lot more that I don't know don't know the world geopolitics health finances I mean we don't know but because of Emmanuel we know the one who holds it and we know that whether we're on the mountaintop or in the valley or somewhere in the transition wherever we are Emmanuel God is with us even if we don't feel like it, even if the world denies it, it doesn't matter. Emmanuel, God with us. If you had told me New Year's Eve 1986, that this is where I'd be sitting and this is what I would be doing on New Year's Eve 2023, I would have called you a liar, probably with some additional superlatives. Why? Because this is what I do know, that when you walk with the savior even into the unknown, it'll be better than you ever dreamt it could be. In all of those years since that New Year's Eve, there have been some pretty Mount Everest highs. And there have been more than a fair share of the Dead Sea Lows. Yes. And all points in between. But I say this from the bottom of my heart I wouldn't trade one day. Because to change one day would change them all. And my brothers and my sisters, 23 had those days. We can't change them. 24 will have those days, but we will have Emmanuel and Emmanuel will have us and we will have one day heaven. And until then, May we be found faithful. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, we thank you for Emmanuel, Lord, who literally changed everything. Father, we thank you that the promise of your word and the presence of yourself was made flesh. Lord, that we could understand him better And Father, we could have the promise in knowing that our Savior knows what it's like to walk in our shoes. Father, he knows what it's like to have the mountaintop experience of joy and peace and happiness. Father, he knows what it's like to have the Dead Sea lows of departure and death and abandonment and false accusation and all others. Father, he knows every bit of it. Father, but he knew it without sin. And because of that, Father, we have a savior who understands that when we talk with him through prayer, Lord, he knows. He understands and he cares. And Father, it's for that we are so thankful. Father, we thank you for the Christmas season and all that it recalls to our minds and our hearts. Now, Father, as we turn our eyes to the next chapter and the next journey, Father, we ask that you would fulfill your Acts 1-8 mandate and promise. Lord, that your presence would ever be with us and that because of it and through it, Lord, as we live this life, Lord, that we'll share the hope that dwells in our hearts. Father, we thank you for the blessings of life. We thank you for the blessings of faith and family and friends. And Father, we ask that you would help us to know you better, to love you more, and to share you in a more meaningful way in the new year. And Father, may we be found faithful until you come for us or we come to you. For your glory, we pray these things. For our good, we pray these things. And for the sake of our world, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.